Our scripture reading today is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. And our sermon today is entitled, For All to See. This is the Lord's word. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has, lose its, its, has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Once again, good morning, everyone. I'm getting warm here, but I hope that all of you are kind of cool and that the Lord is, um, how shall I say this, is uh, giving you the energy and that his spirit is here amongst us speaking to you. And I pray that the words that you hear today, that God would bless your hearts in a way that the Holy Spirit would prick you and poke you and prod you uh, into loving the Lord Jesus who came to save you. This is the first service of our third year here at CCPC. We've been here by God's mercy for two years. For two years. And we continue to pray by God's mercy. We will continue on in order that the Lord may use us for his glory. Our passage today is found in the Beatitudes in Matthew. And Jesus is telling the, the people around him that they are two things. They are salt and they are light. And the way he starts this conversation is very interesting. He doesn't say to them, listen, I want you to act like you are salt of the earth. Neither does he say to them, listen, I want you to start being like light that shines in the darkness. But he starts with what we call just an indicative statement, just a statement of fact. Sort of like saying, listen, the sun is out today. And all of us here, we would take that rhetorically. We would say, the sun is out today. That's that's correct. What's, what's going to follow what you say? The same manner, he says to those of us who know Jesus, you are salt and you are light. And our response as Christians simply have to be, okay, that's who I am. I am salt and I am light. There's what we call a, a clarity of being, a clarity of identity that we as Christians have to cling to, that which Jesus has given to us. It's something that's supernatural for all of us. When we're born as human beings and when you start growing up, you sort of look in the mirror and you start to realize, listen, I, I'm, I'm different. I look different. I'm male, I'm female, I'm Asian, 
an African-American. And you look in that mirror and you start to realize, this is who I am. And that clarity gives you a sense of identity. And that clarity of who you are enables you to act accordingly. But we as Christians, we, we have an, another step to that. We're born again. Christ has come into your hearts. All of a sudden, the way you look at the world is completely different. It's, it's completely different from the way the world looks at it. You see human beings made in the image of God and deserving of all dignity. You see that all human beings have in their hearts a, a, a predilection to selfishness and that only by God's grace and God's mercy can we actually do any good. But we also know that deep inside of our hearts that we, we, we long for something more than this world. We long for eternity. When Jesus came into our lives, we saw that what was preventing us from seeing that eternity was our sins and our selfishness. And yet by God's forgiveness to us and Jesus' death, his cleansing of us and his resurrection as well, we've been born again. And our identity is in Jesus. And our that identity compels us, propels us to live accordingly. Have you ever seen the movie Toy Story 2? If you haven't, there's, there's going to be some, uh, uh, what do you call those? Um, spoilers, okay? But you've all seen Toy Story 2. And you remember when Woody basically gets kidnapped by that Al guy who has that big toy store. And Al was looking for Woody because he wanted to sell it to the Japanese, uh, sort of the, the toy collector. And after Woody gets kidnapped, the, the people there, especially the prospector, remember the prospector? Tr tries to convince Woody that this is the best thing for us, to be in a collection somewhere in Japan, to be cleaned up and pristine forever and ever. And Woody starts to buy into it. But then Buzz Lightyear with his friends, they, they take that adventure to go rescue Woody from Al's big toy store. I forget what it's called. And the banter goes back and forth. But the solution comes to simply this. Toys were not meant to be in a museum, but toys are meant to be played with. And once Woody understood who he was and what his purpose to be, his course of action was simple. Get back to Andy, my owner. No matter what means I need to do, I get back to my owner. When you know who you are, you know the course of action you need to take. On the other hand, if you, if you know who you are and you suppress the knowledge of who you are, this is where all the anxieties come out in our world. I just recently got a new laptop. Let me ask you this. If I brought that laptop in every Sunday, and instead of the dumbbell out there propping up the door, I had that laptop in my box, and every Sunday I just left it there as a doorstop. And that's all I used it for. All of you are right to ridicule me. 
the purpose of a laptop is not to be a doorstop. The purpose of a laptop is to play Fortnite. No, it's not to play Fortnite. The purpose of a laptop is to do work, is to do spreadsheets, is to do email, whatever you have, whatever it needs to, whatever you need to do. You would say I was misappropriating the purpose. The ontology, if I can use that word, the being of that laptop. And in fact, if the laptop was a sentient being, it could actually speak. The laptop would go, start going crazy. You'd have a lot of mental breakdowns. You'd be like, I'm a laptop, but why am I a doorstop? What am I doing here? And I would be, as we say in our prompt, I'd be gaslighting him. I'd go, no, you are a doorstop. That's all you are. You are a doorstop. All the computer chips, that's, that serves no other purpose. You're just simply a doorstop. You imagine the anxiety, the uncertainty, if that laptop could speak. For us as God's children, when we forget who we are, when we forget who we are as His children, as, as beloved by God, that's where our anxiety comes from. That's where our uncertainty comes from because we've forgotten that God has called us out of darkness into light. And God has made us as his sons and daughters. We're acting like doorstops. Like we are non-sentient beings. Instead of acting like people who've been saved by the grace of God and are alive again. And that's why Jesus starts here with a very simple ontological statement of our being who we are. You are salt. You are light. Therefore, act according to who you are. Therefore, let your identity fuel your actions in all that you do. We don't run back to our owner, Andy, like Woody. We run to our Savior, Jesus. We don't sit around doing the things of this world and, and act like we're a, we're a brick. But we live a life according to how God has renewed us in his spirit and in his love. So I'm telling you today, this is who you are. You are salt. You are light. There are many other things that you are as well, but in this passage, you are salt and you are light. And why is this important? Because here as we celebrate two years of church, and as we move on to our third year, we have to remember who we are and the purpose that God has made us here together. We're not here gathered together simply because we like each other. Although many of you don't like each other. We're not gathered here uh, simply because we want to appease our conscience. We're not here because simply we live in the South and everyone just goes to church. 
We are here with a purpose as a church to do God's will, to show forth His glory in all things. The first thing He tells us, you are salt. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. For us as a church as a whole and as Christians as individuals, what it means that we're salt is there's, there's two things that we are called to do. One is we are, we are called to, to preserve the goodness that's in this culture already. See, with God's providential grace, the world is not as bad as it, as it should be. We, we go back to politics, right? And, we, and when we look at the political world today, we see just how ugly it is. And we wonder how a world can work, how the United States can function with the way that we see politics exposed. And yet, I would say to you that if you, if you took political history and you looked at monarchies in the past, you would ask the same thing. How in the world does Alexander, Alexander the Great's empire work? How in the world does it sustain itself? And you would see that the greatest leaders in, in the political spectrum, the greatest leaders who, who, who were conquerors, that a, a lot of their decisions were just, they had to make a decision. But by God's providential grace, culture flourished. People are alive. Technology and advances move on. Our duty as God's people, as the church of God, is to preserve the goodness that God has given to all creation. Our job and duty is not to look at culture and look at culture and say, culture itself is evil, is bad. To look at the secular world and say that there's no good in it is a disservice to the Lord who created all things. Yes, sin abounds within it. But our duty is to bring forth the goodness of God. And to show to all other people that this is God who made this. And we rejoice in it. You should rejoice in it as well. And although the world might not look at their maker and look at God and say, you are the author of it, we ourselves look at it and say, God, you are the author of all things. We are the ones who preserve the goodness that's left over even after the fall. And to point all others to the creator who made all things. Along with that, another purpose of salt was to give flavor, of course. We as Christians, above all else, who know that the creator God has made all things, we can enjoy the creation of people around us, whether it's music, arts, or whether it's technology, whether it's medicine. And know that it is God, by His grace, who's enabled us to move forward and see the beauty in all things. Have you ever noticed the sad part of people 
the sad part of, 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 of great artists who look after beauty, who chase after transcendence, that when they get to the pinnacle of, 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 of their artwork or the pinnacle of, of their music, and they feel like they're this close to transcendence, that they've realized they can't touch it, they can't attain to it. They're like, is this, is this the most I can get out of the beauty of music, the beauty of art, the beauty of poetry, the beauty of science? And there's a reason why many of these people who have these sensitive hearts to the to, to, to the transcendence, transcendence, transcendence of, of, of the world and of, of beauty and of goodness. But instead of trying to reach for it anymore, they numb themselves. Because it's a hopeless pursuit without God. But we as God's people, we, we, we know that when we, when we listen to Mozart, and even though Mozart himself did not know God, we look at Mozart, we hear his music and go, don't you know that the music you're playing and the beauty that you are, are displaying reflects the grandeur of God? God is using you even though you don't see it. Let me share with you the greatness and the goodness of the God who made you. Let me tell you why when you make this music, your heart leaps. Let me tell you when your heart longs for the perfection of, of love and being loved. Who put that in your heart and why you can enjoy the music? It's because of God, our maker. You are the one who puts the flavor into all things of this world. We as a church are the one who preserves and flavors all things in society. We are not to remove ourselves, but we are supposed to engage the culture. The other danger though for us is what? Is to actually become too much like the world and believe that this culture can be saved and transformed into perfection without Christ or that we can transform this world even before Christ returns but what happens to us as Christians is very simple is that as we enjoy what God has given us in creation our heart longs for the perfection of creation when he returns when you're a chef lots of chefs work really hard and a lot of them, when they taste their food, they like it, it comes up short for them. But everyone else, like me, is like, this is delicious. When you're a musician, you perform, you're like, I came up short. Everyone else enjoys it. But we as Christians, when we come up short and we see things come up short, we don't look for perfection, but we long for heaven. 
and we display that heart and that saltiness in this world for all to see. This is witnessing about the goodness of God without even knowing that you're witnessing about the goodness of God. This is simply enjoying all that God has given to you. You're salt. Go and live as salt. Go and enjoy what God has made. And do so acknowledging him in all things. The second part, you are light of the world. And this is where we get to simply living in the midst of a culture we're in as a church. And to the aspect of what God wants us to do in terms of projecting light into darkness, goodness into evil, salvation into hopelessness and punishment. He says, you are light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand that gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in the Lord. Do you see the way he likes to say it? He says, you are light. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. No, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but it on a stand that gives light to the whole world. And, and this makes total sense. Why would anyone light a light and then put something on top of it so the light doesn't shine? You don't do that at home, do you? You just don't light the light. Neither for us as Christians. We, we, we're not allowed to say, I'm a believer. I know who Jesus is. And yet do nothing about it. It, it, just, it doesn't register. It doesn't make sense. We can't say we are a church of God and not project to all the peoples about who Christ is and what he has done. We cease to be a church when we stop doing that. We cease to be a brick when we start doing that. And as a church, there's a call to us as this people to day by day to, to reclaim who we are, to get moving, and to do the most important thing, and that is to tell people about who Jesus is and what he has done. There are two types of people in this world that we as Christians will encounter. There are those who do not want to hear the gospel at all. And there are those who are really looking and seeking to find answers to this world. Too often as Christians, we come in contact with more with people who are hostile and don't want to hear the gospel. Don't want to hear about Jesus. 
And what happens to us is that we shrivel underneath that. And let me tell you, you will encounter more people like that than people who are eager to hear about answers to the biggest questions of, the wor of, of, this, of this world. Who am I? Why am I here? What, was, what am I made for? What happens after I pass away? What happens to my family? What, what happens to us is when we let our light shine, we, we start sharing about Jesus, and we meet people who don't want to hear it, we get shut down. We get embarrassed. We start to feel like, I don't want to deal with this hostility, this passive aggressiveness that my friends are doing with me. And I'm just going to cover up this light. Let me tell you right now, that is the normal Christian life, where you shine light into darkness. Let me tell you, 90% of the time, that will be the response of this world. Now, I don't want you to indulge in being persecuted and indulge in self-righteousness. But as your light shines amongst those people, your heart must be saddened and your hearts must start to pray. only way that they can see that the light of Jesus, not their enemy, but their salvation, is through the Spirit that will change them. And when you encounter people like that, God has given you the task to pray for them. We as a church, it's the same thing. When people come visit our church, when people come see our church, Whatever reaction may be, our duty is to shine light and to love and to share with them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. Second is, is the, the people who are really interested in knowing Jesus. And there's a good part of this, and there's also a danger to this. For a lot of us, we get very encouraged, and, and I want you to get encouraged when people say, I want to learn more about Jesus. I want to learn more about your church. I want to learn more about sort of what, what's happening. And that's wonderful. Let your light shine. You're like, here's my light, man. You're like, you're like Iron Man. You're like, here it is, man. And you're like, let me share with you about who Jesus is and, and what he has done. But here's the danger on both parts. If you start separating people into those who don't want to hear the gospel and those who are looking for truth, then your mind and your heart will start to accept those categories as gospel. And you will start to look to simply share with one group or another. And you will start having these expectations that Jesus must be able to save these people who are seeking God, but to those who are not seeking him, there's no way he could save them. And that's dangerous. Because you are starting to become 
the, the judge of who is closer to Jesus and who is not. You start to sort of separate people in your mind's eye of those who I'm going to pursue and love and those who I'm not. And once you've done that, you have forgotten what the gospel is. And you've forgotten what it means to let your light shine before all men, before all peoples. I will say this again and again every week on this pulpit if I need to for all of us. The person who looks like they're morally looking for answers to, to their life, they are not closer to God than someone who is hostile to the gospel. They're both in the same position. They both need Jesus. One is more palpable to you guys, to us as well, to, to, to us. But our job is not to distinguish or separate. Our job is simply to love them. And believe me, why is it easier for us to talk to this person who has all these questions? Because if they leave, we don't feel bad. But the one who's antagonistic of the gospel and we try to love them, when they leave, we're like, oh, man, I'm not going to love people like that again. And yet the question comes back then. Are you loving the way that God wants you to love or loving the way that you want to love? We are the light of the world. Light does not distinguish who it will shine upon, who will not shine upon. But we let our light and our love shine before all people. Lastly, when you are salt and when you are light, people often ask, well, what does that look like? Or what, what's, the, what's the end result? There's really just two things. One is we, we hope and pray that people will come to know Christ, that, that, that a few will come to know Jesus. But at the very least, this is how you know you're living as salt and light. Look at the end of verse 16. Look, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And give glory to your God who is in heaven. How do you know that you're not simply being a good moral person here in the South, where the Christian culture is so predominant here, where everyone will say, the Lord bless you. How do you know that you are actually being salt and being light? It's when it's unmistakable to the people around you that you are doing this and loving them with the power of God for the glory of God. That they see your work and they say, you know what? I might not know your God and my idea of Christianity is what I see on TV and some of these people I've run into. But the way that you've loved me and helped me and the way that you keep praying for me, and even those times where you knowingly share scripture verses with me, I thank whoever this God is that you have that he sent you to me to help me in my time of need.
God gets glory even by that. Can you believe that? I come back to my college days, and, and some of you have heard this story before. When I was in college, and I was witnessing to this, this, um, this one girl, this, the me and this other person, we were, we were good friends with her, and we've always shared the gospel with her. And um, she didn't really want to hear it, but she knew we were Christians, and we were good people. We helped her. We helped her a lot, and not, not because like, we were trying to win something, because we enjoyed her company and, and you know, just your friends. Your friends, you know, you, we shared interests together. <coughs> One day, she she got a call that her father was um, stuck in South Florida when Hurricane Andrew was coming through. If you remember, Hurricane Andrew was one of the worst hurricanes that ever happened in the U.S. And there's no cell phones back then. We had rotary phones. We had a dial, you know, like this. And so she got a phone call, and she goes, um, "That we don't know where your dad is. We know that he's caught in a hurricane somewhere." And me and my friend, we were there with her, and, and uh, she just started to bawl. Your father, you don't know if he's in danger or not, and there's no way to be reached. And so we said to her simply, can we pray for you? And she knew exactly what we were talking about. Can we pray for you? And you know what she said? She said, yes. So we prayed for her. Lord, help her father bring him to safety. And we continue to pray, Lord, help our friend so-and-so know that you are God and you do all things for your glory and for your good. Help her to know you, that she too may have peace beyond understanding. And after that, you know, we hugged and whatever, and we went to, the, went to get dinner, I remember that. And she just said, just thank you for praying for me. just being salt and light. We as a church, if we've lost how to be salt and light, we don't deserve to be a church. We're like one of those churches of Revelation where Jesus says, listen, if I'm going to take away your lamppost because you're not acting like a church. And so for us as God's people, again and again, it's to renew our hearts and renew our lives, rededicate ourselves to the Lord. Let us be salt. Let us be light. Let the world rejoice and glorify our God in heaven. And may we share in the fruit of the gospel when we see God in work in and through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. There's no one like you. We thank you for Christ's covenant Presbyterian Church, Lord. 
And we thank you, Lord, that it is by your mercy that this church even exists. It's by your mercy that this church is able to be your salt and your light, Lord God. And Father, we confess, Lord, that we fall short. We always fall short, Lord. But we ask, Lord, for your presence, your Holy Spirit amongst in us, Lord, to, to continue, Lord, to strive towards you, to strive, Lord, to love people, to love this world that you've given us, Lord, so that all people, Lord, may glory in you and what you have done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.